everybody. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. This is week three, y'all. All right. You know what? I got through more um, first service than I did second service. I don't know if you went home. If you were here first service, you went home, watched second service. You know, pastor kind of interrupted, you know, everything. So, you know, but I praise God that I'll get through the message in its entirety today. Are you ready to just dive into the word? Well, I'm not going to take a lot of time recapping, but we know we're talking about maintaining relational harmony. And our backdrop scripture is Psalms 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So I want you to turn to your neighbor. We've been saying this since we started the series. I don't get to have a problem with you. Say that to your neighbor. And you don't get to have a problem with me. Do you do you really mean that? Do you believe that? Okay. Some of y'all don't believe that. You're just saying it because I'm saying it, but you know you believe it. The last two weeks we talked about temptation. What are what were the three temptations that Satan comes to tempt us in? You remember that? This is an awesome class. And you can talk back. You can talk back. It's, remember, we're in class mode. Pastor always says when you come in here, you come in here for class mode. And you know when you go to class in school, you go for yourself, right? You don't say, oh, I wish my sister was sitting in this chair next to me getting this math. No, you stay and you get the math for yourself, right? Because your sister can't take your test. Oh, I, I'm already preaching, y'all. This ain't even in my notes, but your sister can't take your test. When you get this word for yourself, you are going to go through a test. I told you, I've been tested since I've been teaching this. I failed, and I've had victory. But thanks be to God, who always causes me to triumph. Come on here. Come on. But we talked about those temptations. We talked about combating those temptations by getting rid of self-centeredness. Getting rid of self-centeredness. And we went to 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5 in the King James Version. It says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And how many of you know we are in these last days of perilous times? It says, for men, not just men, women, not just women, children, will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Uh, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that's lacking self-restraint, uncontrolled, out of your mind, fierce, despisers of those that are good, fierce. Oh, that's a... (laughs) Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the NLT says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. And we talked about last week, when, when you have a form of godliness, that's coming in here sitting in these purple seats. You, you, the word is kind of going over your head. You know, I'm sitting here, you, maybe you're on schedule to sing today. Maybe you're on schedule to ush and greet and dance today. But you're just in here. You're just doing your duty. But there is so much power in this word that we are denying ourselves because we're not getting in that. We have a form of godliness. But denying the power that can make us godly. Say, I'm not going to deny the power that can make me godly. From such, turn away. The NLT says, stay away from people like that. 
to what is self-centeredness? And we talked about it's being devoted to or caring only for oneself, primarily concerned with one's own interests, benefits, welfare, regardless of others. It's concerned solely or chiefly with oneself. It's to be engrossed in yourself, egotistical, independent, selfish, self-sufficient, centered in yourself, wanting what I want when I want it and disregarding what others want. How many of you have seen that in your life? Oh, you can tell the truth in here. You don't raise your hand. You self-centered. <laughs> so we had, I had a stick last week. I don't have to go through the stick, but we had a stick. Self-centeredness was that stick, okay? And we have several manifestations of self-centeredness. We talked about pride. And most people, you know pride is, you, when you think of pride, you was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's self-centered. I think I'm all that. I think I'm better than you. I'm looking down on you. But there's more to self-centeredness than pride. The other end of that stick was low self-esteem. What? Yes, low self-esteem. Shyness. I told you I suffered with that before. I used to tell people I'm shy. Not even thinking. I'm thinking of myself. What are they going to think of me? Maybe they think I'm not educated enough. Maybe they think I'm too short. You know, they, maybe they, I don't look like I know what I'm talking about. Shyness. Timidness. That's an extreme form of pride. I'm always thinking about me and what others think about me. People who won't open up and talk. That's a part of low self-esteem. Introverts. That's a shy person characterized by concern primarily with his or her own thoughts and feelings. That's a person that directs their mind and their interests partly to things within themselves. Another thing we talked about in the middle of this stick was fear. Yeah, fear is a part of this self-centeredness. You couldn't operate in fear if you were self-centered. I'm worried about what somebody, I'm fearing about what somebody can do to me. I'm, I'm fearing about what somebody is thinking about me. That's a part of self-centeredness. Depression. We talked about depression. Anxiety. Yes, anxiety. Only by pride, Proverbs 13 and 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, cometh strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. And we looked in, in Isaiah 14, 12, we looked at Lucifer and how he was prideful and got kicked out of heaven. It was I, 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 I will ascend. I will do this and I will do that. And he got kicked out. But listen, Adam and Eve, they loved themselves more than they loved God. And they got kicked out of the garden. And guess what? They couldn't even go back. He had a, a flaming sword. And it's like, oh, don't you try. You try, you get burned. Corpses. They are the only things that are not self-centered. You know why? You can sit a body up here. You can kick it. You can spit at it. You can tell it you ain't no good. You ain't never been no good. I ain't never liked you. And what they going to do? Nothing. They're just going to sit up there. It's going to sit up there. But because we are alive to ourselves, we operate in self-centeredness because we respond to how others, other people think about us. And Truth be told, people ain't even thinking about y'all. They ain't thinking about me. That's the enemy tampering with our feelings of self-centeredness to get us to not operate as God has called us to operate in. I could be thinking one thing and you like, go on, girl, you teach it. And I could be thinking, man, do they, do they think this color go right? You know, do they think my makeup is right and all that? I could be thinking that, but you, you telling me to go ahead on. But the enemy has me thinking one thing because he knows the power that's in the word. Now, we were born in 
into self selfishness, into self-centeredness, out of the fallen nature of man from the Garden of the Eden. But I told you last week, our parents were supposed to train us out of it. Our parents were supposed to train us out of it. We talked about the babies in the womb being selfish. How many of you remember that? Yeah, when you, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, yeah, Justin and Jane, they were selfish in the womb. They sat on my sciatic nerve, caused me pain because they were uncomfortable. I'm like, uh-uh. But I, I, didn't, I don't think I told you last week. I whooped them in the womb. They got their first training of self, self-centeredness in the womb. I would push them and, hey, get back over here. Get back over here. So I started training them before they even got here. <laughs> and when they got here, labor, I don't know how long I was in labor. I had a C-section. But some of you was labor for many hours. The child didn't care if you were sleepy. They were, ha, ha, they crying. They want their milk. You know, if you breastfeed, oh my goodness. I told you, maybe I didn't tell you last week, but I breastfed Jaden, Justin. And I, I shouldn't have done that because he was a little spoiled brat. But I caused that. I trained him to continue to be self-centered. So when, you know, we didn't want to kind of get up in, in the middle of the night. Well, I didn't want to get up in the middle of the night because, you know, Pastor, he ain't getting up, you know, for nobody. But I didn't want to get up in the middle of the night, you know, and kind of go to him. So I kept him in my room. I would keep him right here. He would suck. And then he would kind of move over. And then he, and I would put him over here. It was automatic. It was automatic. And I didn't know at the time that I was training him or continuing to train him to be self-centered. I reaped the benefits of him being self-centered. He always attached to me. I'm like, no, go to grandma's house. We need some time together. Two o'clock in the morning, grandma calling me, come get this boy. He won't shut up. I didn't know. I trained him into self-centeredness. I had to cut that out. But Jaden, oh, he got the short end of the stick. When we come home from daycare, I would sit him in his car seat, put him in the kitchen. I'm like, don't touch him. Don't touch Because if you touch him like you want to put him in the bed, he's going to wake up. I said, nope, don't touch him. He sat there for like an hour just in that chair. I was like, praise. <laughs> I was not neglectful. I was doing, I was not training him to be self-centered. I'm going to stick with that. But listen, we talked about the kids in the grocery store throwing temper tantrums. Yeah, they're self-centered, but how many of you have let them get what they wanted because people were thinking about you a certain way? Oh, yeah, I'm going to let you get this toy because I don't want people to think that I I don't have no control over my child. And really, you don't because you're getting them what they want. Self-centered parents. Self-centered parents raise self-centered children. Self-centered children become self-centered adults. So we have some self-centered brats in here. I was a brat. And sometimes I'm still, I'm still the brat. If pastor make me, huh? Uh-huh. If pastor, if pastor, you know, kind of get on, get on my nerves, you know, I give him the cold shoulder. I showed y'all what I did, you know, in the bed. He probably don't know, but I'm like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. You know, ladies, you have that leg and you like, don't even breathe on me. Because I couldn't have what I wanted when I wanted it. And that led to problems. It leads to problems in your relationship, not just the marriage, but in your friendships. It leads to problems. So we talked about some, what are some of the ways that I can continually adjust to self-adjust to not live self-centered, but become Christ-centered. And we talked about needing to die to ourselves daily. Say, I need to die to myself daily. I need to make daily 
hourly, minutely, secondly, millisecondly adjustments to the way that I do things and start to live a selfless life. You know when you selfish. You know when you self-centered. Since I've been teaching it, I, you know, I do certain things and Holy Ghost say, oh, that's self-centered. I'm like, so I have a choice to continue in that vein or to make an adjustment. And we talked about Jesus in Luke 22. All the stuff that was happening to Jesus. Let me go back. My, I done went. Yeah, here it is. A lot of stuff was going on. We had the feast of the Passover. The chief priests and scribes were trying to kill Jesus, and they got Judas to rat Jesus out, right? For some money, a couple of pieces of silver. Peter and John, Jesus sent them away to go find a place where they would have the Last Supper. Last Supper takes place. Then Jesus, in between that, he started reading some of the disciples' mail. And they're always trying to kill him. They're spitting on him. They're doing all of this. He starts reading the disciples' mail. Judas is found out. The disciples start bickering and saying, who is the greatest? They self-centered in front of the most selfless person. How could you be that way? But we still do it today. We have Jesus as the most selfless example, but we still operate in self-centeredness. Peter was told that before the rooster crows, he will have denied knowing Jesus three times. Oh, I don't know him. That's because he didn't want to have, face the consequences of what would happen if, he, if they knew that he knew Jesus. He told the disciples the prophecy regarding his death. He went to the Mount of Olives to pray. He told the disciples, pray that you not enter into temptation. Through all of this, verse 42 says, this was an opportunity for him to be self-centered. But turn to Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. It says, saying, Father, after all of this, if thou be willing... Remove this cup of suffering from me. That was Jesus' opportunity to be self-centered. But get this. He made a quick adjustment and said, Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, thy will be done. And as I said, we have a daily, minutely, hourly, secondly, millisecondly choice to do just as Jesus did and on how we respond to situation. Because we know our response is our responsibility. Another way we start in here today is living, an, another way to live a Christ-centered life instead of living a self-centered life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the King James Version. It says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed from the same into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. I want to look at this in the Amplified too. And we are with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror. And we know a mirror shows a reflection or an image of something else or someone else, right? The glory of the Lord, that's the image of God, which is Jesus Christ. We are progressively increasing more and more, being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I looked up behold in, in the King James Version. It says with open face beholding as in a glass. So what is behold? In the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, it says to fix your eyes upon, to cease with attention, to observe with care, to fix the attention upon an object, to attend, to direct or fix your mind. So when you behold, when you fix your mind on Jesus through beholding his word, the Holy Ghost will begin to transform you into that word. 
This is what the scripture is saying. So when you behold today this word concerning getting rid of self-centered, self-centeredness, you will become, you will reflect the word concerning being Christ-centered. So how can I behold the word? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Psalms 1. Psalms 1 in the King James Version. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So a way to behold the word or to behold Jesus is one, don't follow the advice of the ungodly. Stay away from that advice. You know you have some friends that, you know, they don't know the word or they don't know anything, but you get their advice. The word says stay away from the advice. You know you got some friends like that. They're talking, talking out the Saturday neck, and you, you stay away from that. Don't hang with sinners and scoff at the things of God. This is how we behold the word of God. Don't do what sinners do, and don't join in with their foolishness. And number three, delight in God's law and meditate, ponder, roll it over, mull, think about it day and night. The Message Bible says, thrill to God's word. Chew on the scripture day and night. That's how we behold the word. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 9 in the Amplified Bible, it says, But we have, but have nothing to do with irreverent folklore and silly myths. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, keeping yourself spiritually fit. For physical training is of some value, but godliness, spiritual training is of value in everything and in every way. Since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying. This is a faithful, trustworthy saying. Worthy, that's what I just said. A full acceptance and approval. We need to be trained into Christ's centeredness by exercising ourselves unto godliness. Exercise is this, a physical or spiritual activity that is planned, structured, and repetitive for the purpose of conditioning the body and the spirit. Now, we all know what regular exercise is, and this verse is not telling you not to exercise. We know we, know we need to take care of these temples that God has given us. But I want you to flip it and look into the spirit. So it's a spiritual activity that is planned. So your time in meditating the word and beholding the word should be planned. It should be structured and repetitive. Why? For the purpose of conditioning your spirit. What are some of the benefits of exercise? It controls our weight. And in the spirit, we're supposed to cast all of our cares on God, right? Because he cares for us. So that's controlling our spiritual weight. Cast it over. In the natural, it combats. Exercise combats health conditions and diseases. In the spirit, we know healing is manifested, right? When we exercise, when we meditate on God's word. It improves our moods. And we know in the spirit, we're not, once we meditate, we're not controlled by our emotions. It boosts our energy. Getting in the word produces 
energy. You know, when you get up in the morning, you know, sometimes I get up and I'm sluggish in the morning and I go and I start reading the word and I feel just the energy and the charge. So not only does natural exercise boost your energy, but spiritual exercise boosts your energy. It increases strength and flexibility. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So when I'm meditating in that word day and night, joy is always flowing in my life. It improves our memory. And we know the memory of the righteous is blessed. It's empowered to prosper. It increases our self-confidence. We renew our minds through the word when we meditate. And exercise through meditate, it brings that confidence in who I am and causes me to live in Christ-centeredness and not self-centeredness. But get this, when I feel myself going back to being self-centeredness, I need to get more into the gym, into the spiritual gym and exercise and meditate more into godliness. You know when you slip up in the gym, you be going good for a minute and then three months pass and you kind of like, oh, I'll go tomorrow. Oh, I go next month. Next month turns into next week. Next week turns into next year. The same thing with the word. You're starting off like, yeah, I'm getting in this word. Oh, I can't, you know, I can't do it this morning because I got to get up. I got an interview. Oh, I can't do it this week because I'm just tired. But when you feel yourself dipping back off into different things, dipping back off into self-centeredness, get back into your spiritual gym. Now, when you do that, my interpretation of that scripture, beholding the face of Jesus, is um, when we fix our eyes upon, when we direct and fix our mind on the image of Jesus, on the word, by meditating in the word day and night, we are changed, we are transformed into that image that we have fixed our minds on. So as we're dealing with self-centeredness, I'm fixing my mind, I'm fixing my heart on being changed from self-centeredness. And the Holy Ghost's job is to produce that in our lives, to produce God-likeness, to produce Christ-likeness in my life. Now, I don't have to make myself do it. But as I behold the word of God, as I meditate in his word day and night, I will say I will be transformed into the word that I am beholding. So we're talking about beholding. Another way to get rid of it is to get rid of self-centeredness is to recognize that every one of us was born self-centered. But we have a choice. Say, I have a choice choice. to remain self-centered or allow myself to be trained out of self-centeredness, which results in being Christ-centeredness. Don't justify why you think you are or are not self-centered. That's a, that's a trick of the enemy. Oh, she talked about this, but that ain't me. And you start picking apart. This is not me. This is not me. Just own up to it. Say, own up to it. Recognize that self-centeredness is a problem in your life and recognize the severity of it. And start meditating on one thing that you are self-centered about and begin to conquer that area with the word of God. Now, I want to do this. We're starting a war against self-centeredness. Now, this one, this one was for me. Don't take things personal. Yeah, that's for you too. <laughs> I, I was notorious for taking things personal. You know, it's, but, but you're talking to me. So, so it's personal because you're talking to me. But instead of that... You need to look at why people are doing what they are doing and start praying for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus did. You know, you wear these 
WWJD bracelets. Do you really do that? Do you really think about what would Jesus do? Or is it just something that you put around your wrist? But you have to always start to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? They spin on him, y'all. Now, you know, in this day, you can't even look like you're going to talk. Like, uh -uh. uh-uh. Mm-mm. But what would Jesus do? So we got to start this war against self-centeredness. Live every day to make someone else happy. I'm going to say that one again. Live every day to make someone else happy. Well, who, who can I make happy? Start at home. Start at home. Start at home. Live every day to make someone else happy at home. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1 in the Amplified Bible. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle, special messenger, personally chosen representative of Jesus Christ, to those who have received and possessed by God's will a precious faith of some kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, that special sense of spiritual well-being, be multiplied to you in true, in the true intimate knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, for his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, for by these he has bestowed on us his precious and magnificent promises of inexpressible value so that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom that is in the world because of disreputable desire and become sharers of the divine nature. Verse 5, for this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort in exercising, talking about meditating, your faith to develop moral excellence and in moral excellence, knowledge, insight, understanding, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, steadfastness, and in your steadfastness, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly affection, and in your brotherly affection, develop Christian love. That is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for their benefit. Develop Christian love, that is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for my benefit. That's not good because that's not what the word says. The word says for their benefit. Now, if I'm up here, you you got the word. Well, it wasn't up here, but it was up here. You got to not just hear what I'm saying. You got the Bible says in Acts, what they do, they went home and they studied the scriptures. You got to, while I'm talking, you look at the scriptures too. Don't just take what I'm saying and go for it. I just messed that scripture up. I said, do things for my benefit. And nobody caught it. Do things for their benefit. Verse 8, for as these qualities are yours and are increasing in you as you grow towards spiritual maturity, they will keep you from being, get this, useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, for whoever lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, closing his eyes to spiritual truth, closing his spiritual eyes to the truth, having become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, believers be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be sure, get this, that your behavior reflects and confirms your relationship with God. For by doing these things, actively developing these virtues, you will never stumble in your spiritual growth and will live a life that leads others away from sin. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly provided to you. So you have to live every day to make someone else happy for their benefit, not your own. Now, if you want to be happy, get this, forget about yourself and start living to make someone else happy. We talked last week, I think I mentioned this, about ways to be miserable. Think about yourself constantly. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually by the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. And if it's not what you want to hear, get angry. Expect to be appreciated by everyone. Be suspicious, jealous, and envious. Be sensitive and easily offended. So we talked about living happy. These are ways to be miserable. Never forget a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. I don't trust you. You miserable. Insist on consideration and respect at all times. Oh, you going to respect me. And how, many, how does that work for you? Demand agreement with my own views on everything. I said, yeah, it's right. I don't care what you said. Miserable. Soak and feel sorry for yourself if people are not grateful for what you've done for them. Girl, I helped her get that apartment. She ain't even grateful. Oh, woe is me. Never forget how much you have done for other people. Think about it all the time. Oh, I gave her $5 last week in the church and she was able to get her groceries. She was able to go and get her some food. But always remember what they have failed to do for me. Well, she knew I needed that money. She didn't give me nothing. Don't nobody give me nothing when I need. They always not giving me what I need. Miserable. Seek at all times to entertain yourself and do as little as you possibly can for other people. All of this is self-centeredness and it will cause you to live a life of misery. Luke 6.31 in the NLT says, Do to others as you would like them to do to you. The result of that is relational harmony. Operate in love to get rid of self-centeredness. We have to operate in the God kind of love, and you can go home and research this, but 1 Corinthians 13. The God kind of love, get this, it will melt the coldest, hardest heart. You can't melt it, but the word, the God kind of love will melt the coldest, hardest heart. Loving God, loving the way God loves means that we will love when there is nothing 
to Christ and it wins people back to relational harmony. Now, God wants us to be good to people who haven't done anything for us. Now, this is something that is very true. Love is the highest form of spiritual warfare. You have to have love in your arsenal. We're talking about get ready to fight. Oh, in that arsenal of fighting, love has to be there. Go to 1 John 4. 17 and 18 in the King James Version. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but here comes our warfare. Perfect love casteth out fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. Fear. Why? Because fear had torment. In this spiritual battle that we're entering in, there's people are being tormented. But when we go into that love walk, when we go into that 1 Corinthians 13 walk, perfect love will begin to cast out all of that that people are going through. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, because we're, we're going through this spiritual battle, we're going through this love, it doesn't mean that we're doormat. But we have to confront when God shows us to confront. We have to wait on God when he tells us to wait because God is going to bring the vindication, not us. And loving others don't mean that you don't do anything for yourself. There's a balance in all this. We're talking about self-centeredness, but there's a balance in all of this. You won't be healthy if you don't do for yourself. So don't shirk your duties in that area. Do things you like to do, but make sure when you're doing this that it's not just all about me. It's not all about me, but you need to be replenished even in your natural and in your spirit. Don't be totally absorbed in yourself, totally self-centered. But you have to look, even in love, you look to please God by being Christ-centered. If you are waiting for the other person to do what's right, you need to start this love process first. You remain the same when others are acting up. You be the constant in this love walk. It's tough when you're constantly thinking about yourself. It is. But our pastor says, act like... He or she is acting like they are supposed to act, and it will change the way that you act. So in this love walk, you got to act like he or she is acting like they're supposed to act, and then guess what? It'll change the way that you act. With this selflessness, it requires sacrifice. So when you are self-centered, there's no sacrifice. It's all about what I can do for myself. But when you are selfless, when you are operating in Christ-centeredness, it requires sacrifice. It requires surrender. It requires getting, losing or giving up something, which is myself. Giving it up for the sake of a better cause. We as parents, we sacrifice time and sleep to take care of our children. The children might sacrifice TV and time with time to hang out with their mom and dad. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. So make sure as you go through this, look for ways that, of what you can do for others instead of getting what you want.
So in living and moving to live in relational harmony, we must strive to live a life that is Christ-centered instead of self-centered. We do that by dying to ourselves daily, by beholding the word of God, by training ourselves to godliness, by starting a war on self-centeredness, operating in the God kind of love by loving ourselves, loving others before ourselves, and sacrificing what we want for what we can give. Did you get I'm done. Did you get something out of the word? I was able to wrap it all up today, but I pray that with the last three weeks or last two weeks you were blessed and you got something out of the word. It's make sure that this is not just another message, right? But that every time, I pray that every time you even dip off into self-centeredness, that this word will begin to hit you so strong. You're like, woo, I need to pull it together. And you pull it together by meditating on the word, by beholding that word. And you will be changed by Holy Ghost into that word that you are beholding. Make sure you're beholding the word of God. Make sure you're meditating on that word day and night. And you will see success in every area of your life.